0: Way they could make that song any better, huh? That right, mm, is great. Well, it's good to see you today. Good to have you here. You know, for those of you who who don't care for this weather, you know, I'm really sorry, but I pray for this all summer long. <laughs> we could have this in July, and that would make me just as happy as I could be. but anyway, um, we're continuing in Romans today. I want to encourage you to turn to Romans chapter three. We're going to be looking at chapters nine through twenty. We have one more slide for you. You got a picture there, Troy? Somewhere we got a slide. Not that one. (laughs) That's for later. We're going to be in Romans chapter 3, so be turning there while I'm staring at this screen. He's working as hard as he can back there. He does a crazy good job. Do you have it? There it is. That's a nose with a baby attached. (laughs) That's my new grandbaby. That child was born this morning at 245. (laughs) That's Jonathan and Tori's baby, and they named her Magnolia. Yeah, Magnolia Catherine Abigail. So that's number 10 for me and Donna, as if that matters. People say congratulations, 10 grandchildren, congratulations. I didn't do a thing. This is great, greatest thing you know. It's like a dividend on a stock I didn't even buy, you know. But, but anyway, I paid for it earlier. But anyway, <laughs> and that was the best payment we've ever done. Um, in in looking at Romans three nine through twenty, um, E. e, 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 e w. Kenyon, I believe it was said, these are there are eighteen indictments against humanity. And um, this is, this is the culmination of them. This is, this is where it ends up. It, this is a legal document with the court of heaven reading the indictment as it has been handed down. And everything up to this has been, has been showing us the slow progression toward it. But it's kind of like a hurricane that comes in and wipes everything down to the foundation. We have to get to the very bottom of the, of the problem here. And that's what we have in this passage. When we're about to make a turn in this book, we're we're about to see some solutions here, but what we have to do first is be able to get down to the very very bottom of the foundation to see here's the root of the problem. Now listen, in looking at this sermon, you're going to sit there and go, well, he's preaching to me. Yeah, I'm preaching to me. Because here's here's the rule of a sermon. If it doesn't move you, it's not going to move anybody else. And in studying this, it's just, dear God, We want to be clean. So let's look at our passage. Let's read it all, and then we'll go through some things. It says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This is not the first verse that you pick when you're reading a Bible passage to your children at night. And we look at this, how did we get here? What landed us at this level of accusation and indictment? And what we have seen, God continues to outline the degradation and the progressive downward tilt of humanity until he pronounces the consequences and then he can introduce us to the cure of our self-imposed plight and we're about to make a major shift he has shown us the problem and here is the here's the cause of the problem Here's the source, the root of the problem. And now, beginning next week, we're going to start making an upward shift of how do we get out of this? Okay, ch- chapters 1, 2, and now 3. Okay, this is a drag. This is a real bummer, you know. What do we do about it? Hang in there. Because what we see here is the very last vestige of the building surface being cleansed, being prepared for what God is about to introduce. But well, before he can show us the remedy, he has to show us the need. And in outlining his case against humanity, God, God documents his interaction, his invitation, and our refusal to acknowledge him. And our refusal, in full light, in full understanding of his revelation, it is our rejection, it's our refusal to acknowledge him that has brought us to this place of these charges today. And these are, these are pretty, pretty heady stuff. So let's retrace a little bit. Let's look back at what got us here because this is going, we're going to have something of a pivot point here. And let's see what brought us to this fulcrum. First off, it begins in chapter 1, look back in chapter 1, with the revelation of God, the light of God as found in nature. Look at what he says in 120. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. It is very—it's—it's obvious. His divine power, his his divine nature, and his eternal power—they're obvious to such an extent that look at this—they're clearly seen in the things that have been made, so that we are without excuse. Now look, just the revelation of nature is enough to show us we are without excuse. And friends, i tell you what, when I looked out the window this morning and there was, well I looked out the window at 1.30 in the morning to go watch other kids while one kid's being born. But, and I see that snow, it's like this is so cool. We don't have to look far to be able to see that that there's a designer behind the design. And then we watch, how many of you watch planet earth, you know? You see that stuff on whatever channel. And you just go, wow. Why does that fish, that little duber, sitting down at the bottom of the ocean five miles down, why is it red? It's dark. There's no light. How does anything know it's red? And God looks at that and says, watch this. They're going to find this one day. This is going to be cool. We can wait. Watch this. Here it comes. Here it comes. And then you look at the stark majesty that's projected back from spaceships that we've sent out that are millions of miles away from here. And friends, nature shows us. Nature proves to such an extent that we are absolutely without excuse. Now, I'm going to show you a really cool rock, okay? That's an amazing rock, isn't it? Are you stunned? Are you whelmed? Don't know if you're overwhelmed or underwhelmed? That's a cool rock because this is what it looks like in the house. Take it out in the sunshine and then bring it back in the house two minutes later, and there's no black light on that. That's just the color it is. I showed that to Charlie Phillips, and he went, Wow, that's interesting. And I was, Whoa, careful, Charlie. Getting excited, man. <laughs> Why did God do that? Why did, that is the only, the only mineral in the world that's photosensitive. Why did he do that? And how did anybody find that? Were they down in a cave one day and they looked at that and go, oh, that's really cool. I about this will change color? Hey, look at that. Look at that. In the cave, no color out of the cave. How did they find that? And God placed that here, the treasures in the sand. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. Why did he do that? Because all nature clearly states in the things that are made that God is the one who did it and we are absolutely without excuse. And friends, creation is the proclamation. It's the shout of the glory of God. Look in Psalm 19.1 if, you if you have your electric Bible with you. It's a little bit faster. Psalm 91, chapter verse 1. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork it just it's shouting it's shouting that God is the one who did this and there's a continual barrage that comes from all of nature in Psalm 19:2 it says day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge it's always saying something about God and you know what here's what's cool about creation creation was the simplest thing imaginable creation's the easiest thing do you realize Psalm 8.3 says, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers. Now, think about that. That's just, that's just Jesus doodling in the sand. Watch this. There's earth. There's, there's planet earth. There's David Attenborough is going to be freaked out by this. Watch this. That's just him doodling around with his fingers in the sand. And Think about it. In all of creation, he spoke it all into existence until... It came to us, and he got his hands dirty with us because he had to form us out of the dust of the earth, and then breathe into us the breaths of life. But he says, "It says creation is the work of his hands." Ezekiel thirty nine twenty one says that judgment is the work of creation is the work of his fingers. Judgment is the work of his hand, and Isaiah fifty nine sixteen says that salvation is the work of his arm creation took his fingers salvation took his arm it was more work for jesus to redeem you than it was for him to create you and he said it's worth it and creation as we see there in chapter in 19 psalm 19 verse 1 it requires the very least of his efforts But it shouts His glory. That's amazing to me because it shouts His glory at the same time that Job 29.16 says that creation is His faint whisper. He's just whispering in creation's made. Have you ever wondered what would have happened if God had sneezed? Holy moly, if this is the faint whisper, what would have? Creation is His faint whisper. John 1 says that Jesus is the Word of God. And then the only time in the, new, in the Gospels where I can find it in Luke 23, 46 is when he's hanging on the cross and Jesus shouted. He said with a loud voice, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He whispered creation, he was the word, and he shouted for our salvation. And friends, the revelation of God in creation is so clear that to deny the designer behind the design requires an abandonment of all reason. What did we do? Here's our response. He's developing a legal document here. Look look back in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 verse 23, when we saw all of nature, we exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. I would rather worship a salamander than the God who created it. So we see revelation the light of God in nature but in chapter 2 we see the revelation of God the light of God in conscience look in chapter 2 verse 15 it says they show that the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them and friends no matter how quiet we try to keep our sin no matter how stealthy we try to be and covering our tracks we cannot get away from the secrets of our heart and the Bible says that in Luke chapter 8 nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest and anything that is secret that will not be known and come to light it's going to be it's going to come out it's going to come out and every one of us have experienced the terror of that thought every one of us have experienced the fear we've all experienced what it is to try and hide our sin Luke 12, it says, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you've said in the dark will be heard in the light. What you've whispered in private rooms will be c- proclaimed on the housetops. He thought he'd gotten away with it. He thought he had covered his tracks. It had been nine months since his indiscretion. It been nine months since the oops of murder. Thought he'd gotten away with it. Nobody knew. And then that bony-fingered prophet came in and looked at David. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, pointed his finger in the the face of the king who with a word could have him executed and said, David, you are the man. You are the one who has done this. You have defiled God's people. God had taken him, think about it, from the sheepfold to the king's palace. And David had used his position, his privilege, his blessing, all of the manifestations and revelations of God to David, he had used them for his own aggrandizement. And now Uriah is dead and Bathsheba is pregnant. And Nathan looked at him and says, here's what you've done, you've despised the word of the Lord, 2 Samuel 12, 9. You've despised the word of the Lord. And what David thought was hidden uh, Nathan looks at him, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. You thought you were going to get away with it? How many of us have thought we were going to get away with it? And he said, oh, I'll make it known Now you can either bring it to me. You can either talk to me or I'll talk to you. (laughs) And in those nine verses where Nathan is pronouncing the judgment of God on Nathan, David has exactly six words to say, six words to say, I have sinned against the Lord. That's it. That's it. And it's almost, it's kind of like a vomit. (laughs) It's finally out. It's fine. It's somebody finally knows. And how many of you have found yourself in the middle of something that you hoped would finally come out? Would you hoped someone would finally call you on it? The guy who molested our daughter, he... I I am convinced that he molested our daughter because all the times he had done this before, nobody had done anything. They'd all let him get away with it. And I'm convinced that he molested our daughter because he thought that guy will not let me get away with it. I accommodated his assumption. How many of you have have wished it could just finally come out and David just kind of vomits this thing? I have done it. It's finally out in the open. It can finally be dealt with. And how relieved he must have been. Because in his defi- in, in his confession in Psalm chapter 51, he confesses, my sin is ever before me. I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. How many of you go up to somebody, you know, I just want you to know what a jerk you really are. I already know what a jerk I am. You know, don't don't bless me with that. I had a a buddy, he said he carried a piece of paper with 365 sins that he does, that he carries in his wallet. Anybody comes up to him and says, let me tell you something you did wrong. I got 365 of them, you know. (laughs) That might be going too far. Let's not do that. But David says, I know my transgression. It is always before me. I cannot get it to go away. He said in Psalm 51, 12, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Have you ever noticed how when you have that thing nagging at you, the joy is the first thing to go? I like what one version says in Galatians 4, 15, what happened to all your joy? Boy, a a guilty conscience just ruins it, doesn't it? and God is showing us not only have I revealed myself to you in nature and you rejected it but I moved a step closer and I revealed myself to you in conscience that is me talking to you and you have ignored it completely but tell you what David David Psalm 51 is his confession Psalm 32 is after his confession this is what he this is how it goes after the confession and he said in Psalm 32, 2, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. He's blessed. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. And then he's kind of like, let me tell you how good it is, and let me tell you how I know. Because in verse 3, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Have you ever noticed that a guilty conscience won't go away? won't leave you alone. So we get busy. We get busy. We try and drown it out by our busyness, but all it does is go down to a mumble and a constant tap on our shoulder. And well, I'll go to bed. I'll go to bed and I'll finally get rid of it. I'll finally be able to get away from it. And then all it does is get louder, doesn't it? And Every one of us have known this. Every one of us have experienced this. Some of us might be experiencing it right now. Some of you might be being reminded of things right now that I wish that would just stop. Friends, it can stop. What David says is when I kept silent, it just killed me. But blessed is the one against whom there is no iniquity. And whether our sins are exposed now or later is completely secondary to the fact that God has spoken to us through conscience for the express purpose of causing us to turn to him. And we think we can hide things and get away with it. I like what Bob Harrington said. I like Bob Harrington anyway, but I like what Bob Harrington said. He said, the richest person has yet to be born. Richest person in the world has yet to be born because the richest person in the world is that person who can remove conscience. If I can just make it stop. I'll go to the doctor for all kinds of problems. I'll go to the doctor for that. If you can just make it stop. God makes sure that it doesn't stop until we have looked at him with such rebellion and hatred and contempt for him in our heart that the Bible says their conscience has been seared as with a hot iron. It nags at us. It follows us everywhere we go. It keeps us awake at night. It messes up our driving, which might be the problem with Utah drivers here. We don't know. But in Titus 1, it says to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their conscience are defiled. And friends, one of the five reasons given over in Romans chapter 13, there are five reasons given in Romans 13 why we should submit to the authority that God's placed over us in the various areas of life. One of the five reasons that he gives Romans thirteen five is for conscience. Not only to avoid God's wrath, the first one is God's wrath but also for the sake of conscience. It makes it so you can get some sleep at night. You're able to drive down the road, come over the hill, and not have to hit the brake every time you come over the hill and see a car sitting on the side of the road down there. Oh, he's got me now. No, it's just a 59 Ford broken down on the side of the road. But and Friends, listen, if the blood of Old Testament sacrifices is able in Hebrews 9 to sanctify for the purification of the flesh... Hebrews 9, 14, how much more will the blood of Christ purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? He is showing us, he is showing us, he is outlining the, 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 the legal statement here. I revealed myself to you in nature, and you ignored me. I revealed myself to you in conscience, and you re- ignored me. But his, his invitation continues friends, it's dealing with the guilty conscience that makes it so we can enter into his presence in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts speak, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, we can come near to God now. And we think, well, I can keep it hidden. I can keep it hidden for a long time. And you might be able to. But that passage over in 1 Timothy 5 says, Some men's sins go before them into judgment. Others come behind. And you know what that means? It means my college roommate, who could eat four Whoppers, four Burger King Whoppers, and never gain an ounce, that is no less gluttony than when I would walk past a Whopper and gain five pounds. He said, "Hey, let's go get let's go get Whoppers one day. We had to buy one get one free." And it's like, I can't, I can't, there's no way. He ate four Whoppers, never gained an ounce. Still didn't. <laughs> I guess. But anyway, but they will come out. And whether they come out beforehand or after we get to the judgment seat, they are going to come out. And Romans 2.16 says that even when it's just my conscience, it's still God speaking to me. And on that day, when according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Your conscience, your conscience will still be judged by the standard of Jesus Christ. And now, having outlined his his revelation, having outlined his invitation, having outlined our rejection of him, now he moves to the next manifestation, the next revelation, the next light of God, and that is his law in chapters 2 and 3. And the Jew can look at that and say, look, if he has revealed himself to everyone, if he's shown everyone nature, if he's given most everyone a conscience, because we found a few weeks ago that, There are 1 in 25 Americans are on the sociopath scale, so about 16 of us this morning, you know. So, and there are those, there there are some who don't have a conscience, but he has revealed himself to everyone in nature, so we are all without excuse. He has revealed himself to us in conscience by which we will be judged. The Jew would look at that and then say, then what's the benefit of being a Jew? What, what 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 does this gain me? Oh, Romans three two much in every way. Pastor Kevin dealt with this last week. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God, and you get to be the conduit through which the blessing of God's revelation passes. And listen, the pipe through which water flows gets wet, <laughs> right? The pipe through which water flows gets wet. And if God has chosen to make you the conduit through which his word passes, you will be blessed by that word as a result of it flowing through you. But what happened with the Jews and what happens with us is we go, Well, I got this great blessing, and so now I'm, gonna, I'm going to get me a really good savings account. I'm going to get me a safe deposit box because I want to put the word in that safe deposit box and not let anybody else get access to it. That's what they did. That's what we do. Oh, this is mine, and I don't have to share it. But they can say, what benefit does it give me? And Paul in David in Psalm chapter 19, the same chapter that talks about the heavens declare his glory, addresses this revelation, addresses this revelation of the law. Also when it says in verse seven, "The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Now, so let's go backwards through that verse. Do you feel unvived? Do you feel less vived than you used to be? Revival is only for those who have been vivaled in the first place, <laughs> right? The Bible says. That if you're feeling less vibed, do you feel like a simpleton? Do you feel like just a dummy sometimes? Oh, I should have known better than that. Do you feel downcast? Do you feel like you've been blinded? Then, friends, the law of God is good for every one of those things. The, full comp- the, the complete revelation of God points to the source of everything that is perfect, sure, right, and pure. And what the Jews had done was they had taken the possession of the law as an indication of their superiority. When in reality, possession of the law was an indication of their greater responsibility. And friends, we can sit back and say, oh, well, we're chosen by God and we're so loved by God. And we are, but that is not an indication of superiority. It is a responsi- it's a greater responsibility that we hold. Because now, not only does nature still speak, not only does conscience still speak, but now the Word of God speaks through us. We are the carrier, we are the the conduit by which the revelation of God is brought to this place. And they thought that possessing the law made them better than everybody else. It's like we are tempted to think. When in reality, possession of God's Word makes us the servant of everybody else. And everything that this passage says about the law of the Lord in Psalm chapter 19 is so fascinating. He talks about the revelation of nature. just shouts God. The revelation of law shouts God. And here's the indictment in Psalm 19:9. 9, and the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And that which is clean and which is enduring forever is completely missing from a humanity. Which has rejected the revelation of God at every turn. Because look back in Romans chapter 3, verse 18. Here's here's the problem there is no fear of God before their eyes. And Psalm chapter 19 said, The fear of God is clean and enduring forever. And there's none of it. Clean and pure, none of it. Well, what good is the fear of the Lord? It says there is no fear of God. What's the benefit of it? Listen to this. I got a bunch of verses for you. Psalm 25, 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. The friendship of the Lord is for those who Do you want do you want to be called a friend of God? Abraham was. He counted to him as righteousness. And Abraham was a friend of God. The fear of the Lord. Brings friendship. Psalm so Proverbs one seven: The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Psalm one eleven ten: The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs ten twenty seven: The fear of the Lord prolongs life. And there are five things listed in the Bible that are a fountain of life. Five things listed that are a fountain of life, and one of them in Proverbs fourteen twenty seven: The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. How many of you? How many of you like to? <laughs> When I was a, when I was a youth director a thousand years ago in Alabama there was this there was a spring this well it's an artesian well that just you know shoots water up out of the ground and uh, we'd I'd take the youth out there and and um, how many of you'd rather drink from that that spring? would you rather drink from the spring right at the mouth of it or way down the hill from it? That's one good read listen listen this is this is old days okay that's one good reason to sit on the front row because you're closer to the spout where the glory comes out. <laughs> That's for free. That's for free. I'll tell you this. I am less distracted when I'm on the front row, right? But anyway, I, you want to you get to that well right at the very mouth of the well. And, friends, the fear of the Lord is a fountain, an always-flowing fountain of life. And it is by our own refusal to just acknowledge the simple fact that he is God and I am not that we have cut ourselves off from the benefits of the fear of the Lord. That's all it is, just to say he's God and I'm not. That's a good place to start. (laughs) So once again, our passage makes extremely clear that no matter who we are or what advantage we might have had, we all stand under the same indictment of guilty. You remember Steve McQueen and Papillon down there on the island? And he curls up in that cage, that uh, cell, and all the light has been blocked out of it. And he goes into that nightmare. Do you remember the dream that he has where he's walking across the stand? You like that movie, don't you, Jason? That's a great movie, isn't it? He's walking across the stand in his best clothes and walks up to the judge and the jury. And the judge looks at him and says, you're guilty. He said, I didn't kill that man, and you know it. And the judge said, oh, I know you didn't do that. But you are guilty. You are guilty of a wasted life. And Papillon, all he could do was say, oh, guilty. And the sentence of that is death. And three more times, guilty, guilty. Guilty, and God has entrusted to us. He has revealed himself to us through nature, through conscience, through law, and we have rejected him, and all we can do is say, I am guilty. Whether I have broken that corner of the law, whether I have broken that facet of the law, I have broken the law. Because, friends, it's not ten commandments. It's one commandment with ten facets on it. And to break one of them is to break all of it. And every one of us have to stand there just like Steve McQueen and say, I'm guilty. And the fascinating thing is that in the movie, after that confession, is when they open, they take the, they take the covering off the cell, and the light comes back into the cell, and he looks up for the first time in months. And friends, there is something powerful about just standing in front of the throne of God and saying, <clears throat> I did it. I did it. Look there in Romans 3, 9 and 10. What then? Are we Jews any better off? Nope. Not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. And Romans is a pounding assault on our minds with the logic outlining our demand to to, to reject God. Even in the presence of multiple examples of his revelation of himself to us no matter how he has revealed himself, in a thousand different ways, our response has still been that she took the fruit and she ate it and she gave it to her husband who was standing with her and he ate it too. Our response has still been Romans 1.18, by their unrighteousness we have suppressed the truth. Romans one twenty one: we knew God. and We did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Romans 1.25, we knew what he was doing, but we have exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And in all of the revelation of himself, we are still guilty in Romans 1.28 that we have not seen fit to even acknowledge God. To even stop at dinner just for a minute and say, Wow, God, thanks. friends, just like nature lets us know there is more, just like our conscience lets us know there is more, the law lets us know there is more. It was designed to make sure that we need to know there is more because, look at there in verse 20, by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight through, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law's not enough. <laughs> you got to have more. Golly gee, what could it be? friends, more, more than the revelation of nature, more than the revelation of conscience, more than the revelation of law, is the revelation of the only thing that can address the needs of humanity, and that is the revelation of God, the light of God in Christ. And friends, God's indictment on, man <laughs> on humanity is that even in the face of all these revelations of himself, let's go backwards through our passage. Look there in Romans 3.18. Let's go backwards. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 17, the way of of peace they have not known. 16, in their paths are ruin and misery. 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. 14, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. The venom of asps, you better be careful how you pronounce that one. The venom of asps is under their lips. Verse 13, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive Verse 12, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Verse 11, no one understands, no one seeks for God. And why is he able to say this? Why does he make all these accusations? Because verse 10, none is righteous, not even one. Friends, all of the list from 11 to 18, all of these accusations... They're just examples. (laughs) All they are is examples and illustrations of the truth of verse 10. That's the problem right there. None of us is righteous, not even one of us. Oh, well, I'll try and do righteous stuff. I'm going to clean up my life. You know what? All of the righteousness that we can come up with, he said all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Go home and look that one up this afternoon. And that's what our righteousness is in the presence of God. Nothing that we can do is going to make him say this one is good enough. It's only through Christ. So God has built his case against the humanity of his creation which we have turned our back on him on every expression of his love. In verse 19, why did he do it? So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. And now he comes to the final expression. The final revelation, the expression, the revelation that all the others have been building up to, the the source and the destination of all of the others. Look in verse 21 and 22. This is going to be looked at next week. But here it is. Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. You rejected me in nature. You refused to hear me in nature. You have turned down the soundtrack of your life and your conscience by having it seared. You have twisted the possession of my law to try and prove that that makes you better instead of the conduit of my grace. So now, 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 what can I do? All I have is the same question that Pilate looked at the people and said in Matthew chapter 27, then what shall I do? With Jesus, who is called the Christ. What will you do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? Listen, we rejected him in nature. We rejected him in our conscience. We've rejected him in law and now remains Jesus. What will you do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? That is the question that all of us have to answer. And friends, with every rejection of Christ, we are in the crowd screaming, let him be crucified. But this passage demands that we face our rejection of him because until we acknowledge our own sin of a wasted life, until we acknowledge our own sin of Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray, until we acknowledge our own sin that we have turned everyone to his own way, we will never experience the light of and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? What will you do with him? Have you have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? Oh, I'm so sick of hearing that at church. I get it. I get it. I understand. But it's a question that will be answered. We either answer it no, we answer it yes, or we do nothing, which is an answer. It's still saying no. Have you accepted Christ as your Have you come to him and said, I will submit to you as Lord. I will do what you tell me to do. I'll give you my life. Will you please forgive me of my sins? And with that confession, with that request, he tells us in Hebrews 9, 14, he purifies our consciences from dead works so that we can now serve the living God. If you've not accepted Christ, his invitation is still being declared from the heavens. Won't you come to me? For those of us who have accepted Christ, what are you trying to hide? What am I trying to hide? You know, you know, we're, we're more concerned about people finding out what I've done than what I've done revealing what I think of God. What is it that keeps you awake at night? Wouldn't you like to just be free from that? And friends, it doesn't mean you have to come up here and get the handheld mic and tell everybody what you've done. It doesn't mean that you have to, it didn't mean you have to confess it to complete strangers. It just means let's take it to Jesus. Whose law did you break? Who's the one who wrote the law? Who's the one who wrote that? Who's the one who said don't go doing that? Jesus is. So we talk to the one whose law we broke. That's where forgiveness begins. With the one whose law we broke. And we just come to him and say, I'm really sorry. I did this. I did it guilty, guilty, wasted life, guilty, I did it, and I'm really sorry, God, would you please, please forgive me, here's what we're going to do this morning, if you'd like to know more about how you can become a Christian, we're going to have some folks standing around the side of the perimeter of the building, we're going to have all kinds of folks standing, Pastor Kevin, Tina, Dave, and anybody else that's going to be Alex, if you'd like to know more about how you can become a Christian, come and talk to us. Let us explain to you what God's Word, the Bible, has to say about how you can experience forgiveness of sin, purification of conscience, and get some sleep at night. But friends, as Christians, what is it that we're hiding? What is it that I'm hiding? I tell you, I told you, if you think this verse sermon was for you, it wasn't. It was for me. Nobody's going to be blessed by a sermon until it has spoken to the one giving it you have something that that has been keeping you awake at night that you just want to deal with that here's what we're going to do, we don't do this very often, we're going to do it today I'm going to open these altars for you I'm going to give you an opportunity to come and talk to the only one who matters anyway just talk to Jesus about it if you want to to kneel right there in your chair and talk to him, you can do that, if you want to stand there and sing this song and talk to him about it, you can do it, but friends there is something about just getting on our knees in front of God and saying I am really sorry If you'd like to do that, we're going to open these altars to you, and I encourage you to take advantage of that. Just experience His presence. Experience His presence in a new and fresh way today. As we stand together, we're going to sing this song. Let me pray for us.